stand with me, if you would, please, this evening. And if you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 12, we're going to read verse 1, verse 31, and then chapter 14, verse number 1. Let me share a quote with you that I shared with you the last time we were here, a quote by John Wesley as he was speaking of his particular church that he started, the Methodist Church. Great, great man in church history, great preacher, great writer, and uh, founder of the great Methodist movement. And John Wesley said, My fear is not that our great movement will eventually cease to exist or one day die. He was not concerned at all that one day the Methodist movement would die. He was concerned. There w- he was not concerned at all. He realized there would always be a Methodist movement. He was not concerned it would ever die or cease to exist. But his fear was, he said, my fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, and the supernatural element that makes us great. That's what his fear was, that the people would become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, and the supernatural element. And so we can take that as a challenge for ourselves. Let's never become content To live without the fire, the power, the excitement, and the supernatural. And tonight our message deals with the supernatural element. Let me read the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Skipping down to verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts... And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then chapter 14, verse number 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. If you'll join with me tonight, let's pray together out loud tonight. Make it our personal prayer as we pray this prayer together out loud tonight. Pray with me out loud, please. Dear God, I thank you for who you are. And for what you are doing in my heart, in my life, and in this church. And this evening, I ask you to further your work in my heart, in my life, and in this church. Have your way in me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, please. You know, Christmas is a season for giving gifts. People like to receive gifts. I'm reminded of this funny little story I heard the other day. These two guys were talking, and one of them, I think, was going to be in serious trouble. Fred and Ned were talking together at the water cooler, and Fred said, What did you get your wife for Christmas? Ned replied, She told me, Nothing would make me more happier than a diamond necklace. So Fred said, so did you get her a diamond necklace? Ned said, no, I got her nothing. She said, nothing would make me happier than a diamond necklace. I think Ned was in trouble. Do you know that 50% of the people that buy gifts, buy gifts for themselves while they're out shopping? You know, Christmas is a season for giving and receiving gifts. And the God that you and I serve through Jesus Christ is a giver of gifts. We serve a gift-giving God. Jesus, the reason for the season, is God's gift to the world. John 3, 16, familiar verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church, to believers. Every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul said, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that extra power and working of the Holy Spirit that we preached on last time is available to every believer Acts 2.38, when Peter was explaining what happened on the day of Pentecost, paraphrasing what Peter said, Peter said to that crowd, Come to Christ, every one of you, and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available. And tonight we want to look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are available for life and ministry. Supernatural tools that are available for life and ministry. Gifts from our gift-giving God. Our topic tonight is the gifts of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14. Now tonight we're not going to be speaking about the ministry gifts that are found in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 7 through 13. The gifts that are mentioned there, pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers and evangelists. Very important but that's not what we're covering this evening. We're also not looking tonight at the motivational gifts found in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Gifts such as giving or leadership or mercy and several others. But tonight we're looking at the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14. And tonight we want to give an overview. We'll cover a lot of material in a short amount of time, trying to do it in a meaningful way, an understandable way, you know, in a very biblical way. Do you know over the years that many people have been turned off to the gifts of the Holy Spirit because of some of the crazy things that people have done? Some of the goofy things that people have done and some of the very unbiblical things that have been done under the guise of the gifts of the Spirit. And so then what happens is it's like the old adage, the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. But we want to present it in an understandable way tonight. Whether you are a new believer or you are a seasoned believer. There is not a probationary period for being used in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, you have to be a believer for 10 years before you can use the, be used in the gifts. There is no probationary period. But we want to just present it in a way that is understandable, whether you're a new believer or a seasoned believer. And the key is to be open and to step out when God prompts us and wants to use us in a gift of the Spirit. So we want to break it down into three areas tonight, three categories, three points. Point number one, the need for knowing about the gifts. Number one, first of all, it's very biblical to have a message like this, to learn about the gifts of the Spirit. Listen to what Paul said in our text, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Paul says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, Paul is not calling them stupid. Paul is just wanting the Corinthians to know about the spiritual gifts. He wants them to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul goes on to describe and discuss the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Now, obviously, what's in the middle of 12 and 14? Chapter 13. Everybody knows what chapter 13 is. That's the love chapter. And it indicates to us that the gifts are to be ministered in love. You realize that when Paul was writing, his letter did not say chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. It's like you and I would write a letter today. You don't put chapter 1, chapter 2. You just write a letter. Well, Paul was writing a letter and right in the middle of discussing the gifts of the Spirit... He addresses the topic of love, indicating that the gifts were to be ministered in love and in a loving way. They were to be ministered by people who love. Because without love, Paul says they are hollow, they are empty, they are noise, and they are nothing. Listen to what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. The gifts were to be ministered in love and in a loving way. And then Paul goes on to teach us ten things about the gifts. I'm going to just quickly mention them and tell you where they are found and briefly comment on them before we get to the meat of our study. First of all, they are gifts. Chapter 12, verse 4. We need to remember that these are gifts. We don't earn them. We don't deserve them. We don't merit them. They are gifts. They are gifts. I think it was Warren Bullock, one of our Assemblies of God leaders and preachers, and he said it this way. The gifts are not a sign of spirituality, but rather a sign that someone was open 
and willing to step out and let God use them. They are gifts. We don't earn them. We don't merit them. We don't deserve them. But we step out and let God use us. Let me give you a Bible example. They are not a sign of spirituality. You look in the Old Testament and there's a portion of Scripture that says that Saul prophesied. You look at the context and when Saul prophesied, he was actually chasing David. He was jealous of David, the future king, and he was trying to kill David. And in the midst of all of that, he prophesies. In fact, people said, is Saul among the prophets? But here is Saul prophesying. It's not an indicator of spirituality. It's just an indicator somebody was open. And that, sometimes people raise an eyebrow and say, well, how can God use that person in that gift? It's not a sign of spirituality. It's just someone was open and letting God use them. Also, we don't own the gifts. We are used in the gifts. Okay, the Holy Spirit uses us in a gift for a specific purpose, a specific time, a specific moment, but we do not own the gifts. We are used in the gifts. If we understand that, a lot of things make sense. We don't possess the gifts, we are used in the gifts. But the question comes then, well, why is that person often used in that gift? It's because they have learned to be used. They, once a person is used in a gift, it's easier to be used the next time. And it's easier to use the next time after that. And that's the reason why often people are used in the same gift over and over and over. But no matter how many times they're used, they don't own that gift. They cannot just pull it out and use it whenever they want. It's when God moves upon them, they are used in that particular gift. Number two... There is the same God, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. All the gifts come from the same God. Number three, they are given for common good, for the profit of all, chapter 12, verse 7. For good, for profit. They're not given to destroy, they're not given to tear down, but they are given for good, for profit. And it says for, for all or for common good. In other words, they were not so some can take advantage of others, but they were for common good for the profit of all number four they were given as the spirit determines chapter 12 verse 11 given again not for a permanent possession but given for a specific moment a specific situation at a specific time number five not all are used in the same gifts god uses different people in different gifts chapter 12 Verses 12 to 30, he compares it to the human body. Different parts of the body have different functions. Well, God uses different people in different gifts. Number six, desire the best gifts. You know what the best gift is? It's the gift that's needed at that time. That's the best gift. If somebody has just given a message in tongues, you know what the best gift is? The gift of interpretation. If somebody is facing a situation and they don't know what to do, you know what the best gift is? A word of wisdom. The best gift is the gift that is needed at that particular time. Number seven, the Bible says, or number six, desire spirit, or no, number seven, desire spiritual gifts. The Greek word that is used there for desire is a very strong word. It's the same word that is actually used when the Bible talks about desiring God. That we were to desire that God would use us in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number eight, the gifts were to operate in order. Chapter 14, verses 33 and 40. They were not to be a source of confusion or chaos, but they were to operate in order. And number nine, the gifts are subject to the control of the individual. Chapter 14, verse 32. First of all, God is not going to use somebody if they don't want to be used. Second of all, God won't force somebody to be used. Also, it's not where a person has to use that gift at a specific moment. It'll make more sense later when we talk about the voice gifts. But it doesn't have to be spoken at just the moment a person feels that it that God wants to use them. They can wait for the appropriate time. The appropriate time is not in the middle of somebody singing a solo. It's not in the middle of a sermon. There are appropriate times that God can use somebody in the gift. And 
God might speak to them earlier and nudge them, wanting to use them, but they can wait for the appropriate time. The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. And then number 10, the gifts were not to be forbidden. Chapter 14, verse 39. There it specifically says forbid not to speak in tongues, but we could apply that to all the gifts really, that they were not to be forbidden, but they were to be embraced. Paul was saying desire spiritual gifts, that we were to desire that God would use us in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul did not want the Corinthians to not know about the gifts. And listen to the progression now. We need to know about the gifts because knowing or knowledge brings awareness. Awareness then will bring an openness. And an openness then can lead to being used. And so there's a progression. We know about the gifts and that leads to an awareness. An awareness leads to an openness and an openness leads to being used. And so we need to know about the gifts. Now let me go to the second category this evening, the need for the gifts. The way I've often illustrated the gifts of the Holy Spirit over the years is like this. You can live the Christian life without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can minister without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole segment of the evangelical church world that does. But the gifts are a great help and a great asset to life and ministry. The way I've illustrated is like this. You could go out there and build an entire house with hand tools. I mean, you can build an entire house with an old hand drill the old hand saw, the old hand hammer. I mean, you can build an entire house that way. People did it that that way for centuries. But oh, how much better to have power tools. My, to have a skill saw and a pneumatic hammer and a power drill. Well, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're like God's power tools for life and ministry, to help us in life and ministry. So yeah, a person can live a Christian life without them, but why would they want to? Person can minister without them, but why would they want to? It would seem like common sense would be, I want to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want God to use me in the gifts. I want them to be available when I'm in need of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think we could make a case for the fact that Jesus did His ministry through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians that when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of the heavenly benefits and the heavenly benefits and attributes that he had available to him. He emptied himself. The kenosis is the theological term. He emptied himself to become one of us, obviously sinless, no sin, perfect, but he emptied himself of all of those attributes So then how did Jesus do all the things that he did? Listen to what it said in Acts chapter 10 verse 38. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil and God was with him. He did it through the power and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God's power tools for life and ministry. And so Paul then lists them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. Let me read them and then we'll look at them. Paul writes and he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And so we want to look at the gifts of the Spirit listed there, break them into three groups of three, the mind of God gifts, the power of God gifts, and the voice of God gifts. First of all tonight, the mind of God gives a word of wisdom. What is a word of wisdom? It's a supernatural revelation from God to man, giving a solution to a problem we did not have an answer for. It answers the question, what do I do? 
Ever been there? What do I do? How do I handle this? What do I do? That's when we need a word of wisdom. What do I do? What it's not, it's not guessing. Well, I guess I should do this. I guess I should do that. And it has absolutely nothing to do with natural wisdom. Nothing to do with not one's IQ. So how is a person used? Well, several different ways. One is we may sense this is the way to go. That, that inner voice, that voice of the Spirit saying, do this, go this way. Also, it, it can be a thought that comes to our mind. We could sense this is what we should do. Also, God can give a vision. God can give a dream. You say, does God still give, give visions and dreams? Oh, yeah. God still gives visions. God still dream, gives dreams. Now, does that mean every dream is from God? Oh, no. Some dreams are too much pizza the night before. Some dreams might be because of what you're thinking about the night before. But God can give you wisdom through a dream. God can give you a vision. God can also just enlighten a word of Scripture that will give you direction as to what to do. Let me give you some Bible examples uh, of a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom. Uh, In the book of Acts, chapter number 6, we find where the early church was growing by leaps and bounds and, and the Grecian widows were complaining that they were being left out of the food distribution. So the early church was wondering, what do we do? Well, in that case, God gave a word of wisdom because they decided, okay, let's select seven men to handle the food distribution so the apostles could devote themselves to ministering the word and to praying. But there they had a word of wisdom as to what to do. There was the time when Jesus was confronted about whether they should pay taxes or not. And what do you do? What do you say? Jesus says, give me a coin. They give him a coin and he asks whose picture's on there, Caesar's. And then, you know, he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Another example from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. We find again the church is growing and now Gentiles are coming into the church. Uh, by leaps and bounds. And they're wondering, should we require the Gentile believers to do all of the Jewish practices? How do we handle this? What shall we do? And so James got up, and James would be an example of somebody who had a word of wisdom. And James says that, let's tell the Gentiles that they need to abstain from meat that was offered to idols. They need to abstain from immorality. They need to abstain from things that are strangled and they need to abstain from eating blood, but they don't need to keep all the Jewish traditions. But there was a word of wisdom. How do we handle this? What do we do? God gave them wisdom. So today's examples, maybe in a board meeting, the church board is discussing an issue and God gives somebody a word of wisdom as to how to handle this. Might be in an annual business meeting. How do we handle this situation? And God gives somebody a word of wisdom. In our, in our ministry some years ago, in our early stages, people were asking always at our product table, they were asking, do you take uh, credit cards? Do you take credit cards? Do you take credit We said, no, just cash and checks, cash and checks. And so... We finally figured out we better start figuring out how to take credit cards. So I went to the local bank and I asked them at the local bank. They said, oh, no problem. Fill out this paperwork, give it back to us, and, and uh, everything should go fine. We filled out the paperwork, gave it to the bank, and weeks went by, weeks went by, weeks went by, and we inquired what was going on. They didn't know what was going on, and we were getting no response. And, and finally, after weeks, maybe a month or more than a month went by, One day as I was praying, the Lord just said, go to the local credit union. So we went to local credit union, asked them the same thing. Can you set set us up to receive credit cards? They said, sure. We filled out a piece of paper and within a day or two, we were up and running. I think God just gave a word of wisdom as to how to handle that situation. But I believe that it not only is something that God can give for ministry... But it can also work in the everyday things of life where God can give us wisdom. 
There was a time when God tried to give me a word of wisdom, but I didn't listen. We were in our first pastorate at this time. It was in west central Minnesota, brutally cold in the middle of the winter. The wind is blowing every single day, and it was cold. And the car, one of our cars didn't work, and I found out the problem was a small part in the distributor, and it was the condenser. It's just a little piece about that long, and about it's like a big firecracker almost. And so... I went and I got the new piece from the local auto parts place and I started unscrewing the old one, got it out, started putting the new one in and one of those little itty-bitty screws fell out of my hands, fell through a hole in the distributor and disappeared way down deep inside. And... I thought, well, what problem can a little screw cause? And this voice was saying to me, get the screw out. It was God trying to give me a word of wisdom. And I was saying, what problem can a little screw cause? The voice kept saying, get the screw out. What problem can a little screw cause? And so what I did was I got one of the old screws, used that to screw in the new part, put the distributor back together again, started up the car and I heard a noise that was not a good noise to hear. The little gear, the little screw had gotten in amongst the gears under in the, the bottom of the distributor shaft and now it had bent the distributor shaft. So now I not only had the original problem, but now I had to get a whole new distributor because the shaft was bent. If I would only have listened to what God was trying to tell me in that word of wisdom... It works not only in ministry, but in life. Word of wisdom, when we don't know what to do and God tries to tell us what to do. The second thing this evening is now, is a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge. What is it? To supernaturally know something you could not know in the natural. Something the Lord reveals to you. Knowledge deals with facts. To know something. Wisdom deals with action. Wisdom deals with what do I do? Knowledge is God giving us facts. It is not suspicion. It is not guessing. So how to be used? You sense this is the situation. These are the facts. Other possible ways God can give you a word of knowledge is through a picture. Again, He can give you a vision. He can give you a dream. Also, You can feel some people when they have a word of knowledge regarding somebody with a certain ailment, perhaps in a service, and and they might feel a pain in that part of their body. And God is showing that individual that there's somebody here that needs ministry in that area. There's not just one way that it can be given is what I'm trying to say. God can speak to different people in different ways, giving them a word of knowledge. So what do you do? In a public setting, you can state it. If there's someone here tonight... Uh, there, or there is someone here tonight, you got pain in your left shoulder and God wants to minister to you. Or you can ask, is there someone here tonight in that area with a pain in that area of the body? In a one-on-one setting, you can discreetly ask, you know, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, does this mean anything to you? And you can just in a diplomatic way say, does that mean anything to you? I'm just sensing, you know, if we blurt out, well, in a one-on-one setting, well, thus saith the Lord, this is what God would say. You know what that person going to probably do? They're going to probably run, you know. And so, so there, there, there can be a way that we can approach people in a loving way, but still get the point across. Let me give you a Bible example. Peter, in the book of Acts, chapter number 5. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, they had sold their property, and uh, they told the church that they had given all the money to the church, but they had kept back some of it for themselves. Now, they had every right to keep some of the money. That was not the problem, that they kept some of the money. The problem was they told the church they gave it all when they kept back some of it. They lied. And so, you know the story. Peter confronts Ananias. He said, yeah, we gave it all. And he gets struck dead. And so then Sapphira, the wife, comes in later and Peter asks her the same question. She tells the same lie. We gave it all. Boom, she gets struck dead too. 
The point we're making here is, how did Peter know that? How did Peter know that? He wasn't their banker. He wasn't their accountant. But God showed him. God gave him a word of knowledge. Today, Bible examples or today's examples of God can reveal that there's maybe somebody with a certain illness or sickness and God wants to minister to them. Or God can reveal a sin of someone again so they can be ministered to. Not to tear them down, but so they can be ministered to. In, in the book, we tell a story of a guy who was flying on a plane and, and he's seated next to somebody. And God gave him a word of knowledge that this man seated next to him was having an affair with somebody. And he even gave, God gave him the name of the woman he was having the affair with. And so he found a diplomatic way of approaching the subject with the man. The man admitted what he was doing, said even the name is right. Long story made short, man gave his life to Jesus. He got, he got saved. He got saved. And so, so, again, that's an example of a word of knowledge in operation. Now, suppose that man didn't get saved. Did that mean that the word of knowledge was wrong? No. Just because somebody does not respond or doesn't respond favorably does not mean that the word of knowledge was wrong. I remember in our second pastorate, we... There was a time when God just said that there's somebody here tonight that you've got pain in your stomach and God wants to minister to you. And nobody responded. No, nobody acknowledged that. So we went on with the service. Later, at the end of the service, I'm in the foyer of the church and a lady came up to me and she said, that was me. I was just afraid. I was just afraid to admit it was me. So, so don't think you've missed it necessarily just because there is not a favorable response. Okay, the third thing is discerning of spirits. What is it? It's distinguishing between divine, evil, and human spirits. It's determining the spirit that is behind something. How to be used? Basically, you sense that this is just, this just is not God. This is not right. This is not right. A Bible example, Acts chapter 16. Paul is out in ministry and this servant girl, this slave girl is following them in ministry. And what she's saying is even correct. She's saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. But Paul discerned that there was an evil spirit within that girl. Paul ministered to her. She was delivered and a great miracle. But you, you just sense, you, you sense something is not right. Let me give you an example back to our first pastorate again. You have to remember this, this first pastorate of ours was uh, back years ago in the uh, uh, late 70s, early 80s, and uh, satellite dishes were coming out. There's a ministry in Texas that was starting this ministry with satellite dishes and, and their people, churches were buying the dishes and, and then uh, these services are, and these speakers were being broadcast into, into the churches and and some of the speakers were fine. There's nothing wrong with some of the speakers. But, but the, the point was that this guy came through our area and he was selling the dishes and wanting people to sign up. And so he approached us and uh, something just did not sit right. There, 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 there just was a sense that this was something was not right and we should not get involved. And so, so we prayerfully considered it uh, you know I told him we'll pray about it and and we got back to him and said we're we're thank you but we're not interested well later on we found out that the man was cheating people that he was selling these things to and then later on it was found that the very source of the ministry was corrupt in Texas there uh, not all the speakers but the 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 source was wrong but it was God giving a word or a discerning of spirits that the spirit behind it was not right the mind of God gives a word of wisdom to know what to do, a word of knowledge to know facts, a discerning of spirits to discern if something is of God, something is of Satan, or something's of the flesh. You know, people say, well, we don't need the gifts. I wonder what planet they live on. I need the mind of God gifts. I need a word of knowledge. I need a word of wisdom. I need a discerning of spirits. We need the mind of God gifts. Let me go to the second category, the power of God gives. 
A word, a gift of, the gift of faith, what is it? It is an extraordinary faith that God gives for a particular situation. It is not hoping things will turn out. It's not positive thinking. It's not even an ordinary faith. But it is an extraordinary faith that God gives for a particular situation. For a particular situation. That in that situation you just know that you know that you know that this is the way it's going to turn out. Again, that doesn't mean that this person now becomes the the greatest person of faith forever and ever. Amen. It's for that situation. Going back to the mind of God gives. When God gives a word of wisdom to somebody, it doesn't mean they become all wise. If they were a blockhead before, they'll be a blockhead later. But for that moment, God gave them a word of wisdom. Same thing, a word of knowledge. That doesn't mean they become all knowledgeable. Now they own this gift and they're all knowledgeable of everything. But for that situation, God gave them a word of knowledge. Or a discerning of spirits would be the same thing. But now with this this particular gift of faith, it is faith for a particular situation that you just know that you know that you know that this is the way it's going to end up. Let me give you a a Bible example, Acts 27. Paul is in the midst of a storm as he's being led to Rome to stand trial for things he did not even do. But the ship gets into a horrendous storm and they thought for sure that they were all going to perish. But in that case, an angel showed up and spoke to Paul and said, the ship will suffer loss, but no lives will be lost. And when he received that word from God through that angel, he knew that he knew that he knew that this is the way it was going to be. The ship, yeah, the ship's going to get lost. But we're going to not lose a single person. And that was a gift of faith. Uh, A Reader's Digest version of of that in today would be when we went to our first pastorate. Graduating from North Central Bible College. And we were a little bit older when we were graduating. And so uh, we were going to go right into pastoral ministry. And so talked to Herman Rohde, the superintendent. And asked him if any churches open in Minnesota. He told us about New York Mills, Minnesota. Small town, 750 people, located 80 miles southeast of Fargo, North Dakota. And then he described New York Mills Assembly of God. I'll never forget the words he used. He called it a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. I've now learned what it means when a superintendent calls a church a wonderful opportunity. What it means is he can't find anybody in their right mind to go there. And he wished you would go there. It was such a great opportunity that two years earlier they had locked the doors. They had shut the church down. They had closed the doors. And uh, such a great opportunity. Most people that pastored there, they never pastored again. Most never stayed there very long. Wonderful, wonderful opportunity. What had happened, a former pastor was retiring in town, felt bad a church he had previously pastored was now closed. He asked the district to reopen the church. The district said, fine, there's the church, there's the building, go to it. We don't have any money to help you, but go to it. So he started having services. And then he had a heart attack, and the doctor says, you can't preach anymore. So now they needed a pastor for this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And so we went up there on an Easter Sunday. We preached to that small group of people. After we preached to that small group of people, they later had a meeting and they voted us in as pastors. And it was so exciting. I mean, we had a pastorate before we even graduated from Bible school. And so we drove back to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and we were so excited. We were pastors of New York Mills Assembly of God. The plan was we'd finish our last month of Bible school. Then we'd move up and begin our pastoral ministry. But when we told other people... What we were, where we were going and how we had been voted as pastors and where we were going, people thought we were crazy. They thought we were nuts. They said, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're getting into? I mean, there was not a great ringing endorsement of our going to that first pastorate. But I believe that God gave us a gift of faith that we just knew that we knew that we knew that it was going to work out. Nothing in common sense said to pursue it, but we knew that God had just given that gift of faith for that situation. At the very end, I'll finish the story. But the gift of faith for a particular situation. Then there's the gift of healings. What is it? Perhaps one of the most difficult to define, but I'll give you a North Central Bible College definition from my Corinthians class. And this is what the definition was. It is to supernaturally give or pronounce healing 
in Jesus' name. To give or pronounce healing in Jesus' name. Now there's many abuses today where people go around pronouncing everybody healed. And if they're not healed, that wasn't the gift of healing. I remember the instructor telling us that when that gift is in operation, that person will be healed. They will be healed. But what it is not, it is not prayer for the sick. It is not asking God to heal. We need to do all that, but that's not what the gift of healing is. It's not anointing with oil. It's not natural healing, but it's a gift, a supernatural pronouncing of somebody healed in Jesus' name. The Bible example is found in the book of Acts when Peter and John are going to the temple. Peter and John going to the temple to pray. There's a lame man there begging. The lame man sees Peter and John, and so the lame man looks at them and says, was wanting money from them. You know the story. Peter says, silver and gold we don't have. But in the name of Jesus, what we have we give unto you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man got up and he walked. The pronouncement of healing. In fact, in that case, Peter didn't even pray for him. He just gave him a gift of healing. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You ever notice how many times Jesus just told people, go and show yourself to the priest. Didn't even pray for him. He just said, go and show yourself to the priest. To pronounce someone healed. This gift never fails. They are always healed. We are teaching on this at a church. And a lady asked, was this the gift of healing? She said, I was praying for my dad. And I sensed that he was healed. And so I told him, dad, you're healed. I said, that's what we're talking about. So how to be used? How to be used? We can start by praying for the sick. Just pray for the sick. And then be open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and speak it out if it's God. If, it's, if God is saying this person is healed, well then say, God has healed you. And then have them confirm it with a doctor. When God heals somebody, it can pass any test that is given. When He heals somebody, it can be confirmed. The gifts of healing. Working of miracles. What is it? It's divine counteracting of the normal workings of nature. An example in scripture. The water turned into wine. That normally doesn't happen. Or it's the raising of a dead person. Back to life. That normally doesn't happen. Or it's somebody walking on the water. People normally don't walk on the water. Examples today. For example would be. A pastor in Vietnam. Was uh, this, share, this story was in the evangel. It's got to be right. It was in the evangel, okay? It was in the Pentecostal evangel. The, the story's told about a Vietnamese pastor. And this Vietnamese pastor, nobody was interested in the Jesus he was preaching in the village. Nobody was interested. One day there was a couple that came to him and said, can you come to our home and pray for our son? And so the pastor said, sure. And the pastor follows the couple to their home And when they got to the home, the pastor was horrified. He thought the boy was sick, but he found the boy was stone cold dead. I mean, the boy was dead. The pastor said he was so shook, he said, I don't even remember what I prayed. But he said, I prayed something, and I left. The next day, the pastor's at the office, and he hears a knock on the door. He says, come on in. And there was the mom and the dad. And right behind the mom and the dad was the boy. God had raised him from the dead. A supernatural miracle. Needless to say, after that, everybody wanted to hear about that Jesus. That's a miracle. Lee Grady was writing in the Charisma magazine in his article, Fire in My Bones. And he talked about how he said, he said, I've met an Indian evangelist who has seen six people raised from the dead. And I interviewed two of them. A miracle. Dead people coming to life. So how to be used? If a miracle is needed, let's just pray for miracles. Let's pray for miracles. I I heard earlier today, you were talking about a, a boy that was born dead and came to life. That's a miracle. Those are miracles. And God still does miracles. How do we get used? 
If we see a need for a miracle, let's pray for a miracle because God still does miracles. So the power of God gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of healings, and the working of miracles. And then thirdly and lastly, the voice of God gifts, a word of prophecy. What is it? It's to speak a message from God in a language known to the speaker. It's not saying what we think needs to be said. It's not preaching. It's not knowing end time events. So how to be used? How to be used? Be open to being used. Open. And then as we sense God wanting to use us, He'll give us some words. Now emphasize some words. And then use what Ken Krevolovic, an Assemblies God evangelist, uh, had him a couple times at our first pastorate. He called it the 10 second rule. He said, hold steady for 10 seconds. And if it's still there, and if it's the appropriate time, then speak out the words. And then God will give you more words. And God will give you more words. If it's not the appropriate time, then you wait for the appropriate time. And then you speak out the words. Is it a step of faith? Oh, yeah. Because generally you only get a few words and God will give you the rest of the words as you go along. Now there can be exceptions to that. If a church has the policy where the word has to be approved before it's given, well then God can give you more words, enough words. God can work with the policy of the church, whatever it is. We've been in churches where there's the policy where it has to be approved. There's churches where, where you know, they have microphones, you know, and, and it has to be approved, and then you go to a microphone. It's whatever the policy is of the church, God can work with that, okay? And so, but if it's in a, just in a, in a traditional sense, He'll give you some words. As you speak those words out, He'll give you more words. But follow the policy of the church. Follow the policy of the church. And then a message in tongues, different kinds of tongues. It's a message... In a message, it's a message from God in a language the speaker does not know. It's not knowing another language. It's not speaking in your prayer language just loudly in a service. But it's God giving you a message in another language. It can be the same as your prayer language, but it's not as, as you just want to. But it's God showing you and God, you're sensing God wants to use you in a gift, in that particular gift. Again, be open to being used. If you sense God wanting to use you, use the 10-second test. If, if it's still there after 10 seconds, let it go. Speak it out at an appropriate time. And then the interpretation of tongues. What is it? It's an interpretation of a message in tongues. Notice it's not a translation that answers the question, why was that message in tongues so short? And why was that translation so long? Or interpretation so long. Because it's not a translation. It's an interpretation of what that message was. And it can be vice versa. Let me give you a Bible example. You find in the Old Testament. Now this was God. Remember when God wrote on the wall. And four words. God just put four words on the wall. And I, I believe it was four. It took Daniel three or four sentences to explain four words. Okay, well, it's the same thing. A message in tongues can be short, but the interpretation can be long. Or it could be vice versa also. It's not guessing what needs to be said, planning out ahead of time what needs to be said, knowing another language, but it's and God giving you the interpretation of that message that was given in tongues. Let me go back to that New York Mill story for just a quick moment here. We... we we're getting ready to go to that first pastorate. And we're wondering now, what have we gotten ourselves into? You know, people are doubting and questioning us. And we're wondering, what have we done? What, what's going to happen to us? I mean, we're going to a church that was in a small town, had a terrible reputation. Things had happened that weren't good to have happened in a church. We're, gonna, we're promised to be paid $50 a week to go there. We're living in an apartment that was attached to the church building. You open up the living room door, you're in the sanctuary. You open the door the other way, you're in the living room. I, I mean, it was a very unique situation. And we're wondering, what have we gotten ourselves into? 
But I'll never forget the day I was, we were in that church that we were attending while we were going to Bible school. It was Roseville Assembly of God, Roseville, Minnesota. And I'll never forget being in that service that morning. The, the worship time was going on and these questions are rolling over in my mind as, as our departure to go there was getting closer and the questions are rolling over in my mind. And there was a pause in the worship time. And just as I'm asking the question, are we going to make it or are we going to survive? There was a message in tongues and there was an interpretation of that message in tongues. And just as I'm asking, are we going to make it or are we going to survive? This was the message in tongues and interpretation. Preach the word. Believe the promises. And I will fill your house. And that was it. And I find that for no reason except God doing what God said he would do. God did exactly what he said he would do. It wasn't what we did, but it was what God did. And so that's why this means so much to me, because it, it, it was so crucial at that time. And you think, what can happen in a service when people come with needs and situations and circumstances? And, and just as they're asking questions about their situation, there's a message in tongues, an interpretation of a message in tongues or a word of prophecy that ministers to them right where they're at. And God can minister to them. And God did exactly what he said he would do. Church grew to the point where we couldn't fit in the building. We had to knock on a wall, make the sanctuary bigger. We ended up, and, and God not only filled the church house, he literally filled our house. We had to move out of the apartment and buy a house across town. God did exactly what God said he would do. And so we need the voice of God gives. The voice of God gifts that the Bible says are for edification, exhortation, and comfort. We need the mind of God gifts, the power of God gifts, and the voice of God gifts. We need them in life. We need them in ministry. And let me just touch on it that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a key to being used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can a person not baptized in the Holy Spirit be used in the gifts of the Spirit? Biblically, we would have to say yes. All you have to do is look at the Old Testament. Before there was the baptism in the Holy Spirit, before there was Pentecost, we find the gifts in operation in the Old Testament, but very, very seldom by very few individuals. Oh yeah, every once in a while there was an Elijah or there was an Elisha or there was somebody else. But after Pentecost, you find the gifts in operation by many and often. It's the gateway. It's the gateway to being used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But there's more after the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I like the name of the service you gave, More. Because after the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there is more. Because he sends us out. Matthew 10 verse 8 says, Heal the sick, Jesus said. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have been who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And he said in Mark 16, verses 15 to 18, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their, ha in their hands. And they will drink, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. But let's start with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then that makes us eligible for all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because even in the Old Testament, you don't find a message in tongues, an interpretation of message in tongues. But you do find the other, other seven. But we need, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit for effective in ministry today. And so let's be people who desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Desire more. We want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we also want to go on to then being used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The world that you and I live in is hungry for the supernatural. They are hungry for the supernatural. The psychics make millions the, the fortune tellers, they make millions because the world is hungry for the supernatural. And you and I, we have been given the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And so let's make ourselves available. Because the Bible said in Mark 16, 20, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them, confirming His word by the signs that accompanied it. Let's be people not content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, and the supernatural. But let's desire spiritual gifts. We serve a gift-giving God. And let's make ourselves available. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Beth, if you come to the keyboard, please. Father, tonight we thank you and we praise you from the very depths of our heart for who you are. Father, tonight we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Father, tonight we are so thankful, Father, for Jesus. Because, Father, we realize that without Jesus we'd have no relationship with you. Without Jesus, we'd have none of the Holy Spirit within us. Without Jesus, we would have no chance of being used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and all that's available to us through Jesus. And all we can do is reach out and receive what you make available to us. All we can do is be open to what you make available to us. We realize we can't earn, merit, or deserve anything we receive of you. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for all that you make available to us. And Father, our prayer and desire tonight is that we would be open to all that you've made available to us, Lord. Just open. Open to the ways that you want to use us. Open to the ways that you want to work through us. We thank you that you've made the gifts of the Holy Spirit available. That you didn't just send us out there and say, well, go to it, do the best you can. I hope somehow you make it. But you've given tools, tools for life and ministry. And Father, we pray that in the closing moments of this service, Father God, we would just make ourselves available to you and say, God, here we are. Use us in the gifts of your Holy Spirit. We just want to make ourselves available to you. And tonight we trust that we are ministering to people who are already believers. But if you are here tonight and you've never made a commitment of your life to Christ, you can do it right here, right now, right where you're at. You can ask Christ to come into your life. Or if you're here tonight and there's something between you and Him, you can ask Him to forgive you of the sin in your life. He stands ready to cleanse, to wash, and to forgive. In this quiet moment, just ask Him to cleanse you, to wash you, and to forgive you. If you need to make that commitment of your life to Christ, do it here tonight. And Father, in these next few moments, as we open ourselves to you and the working of your Holy Spirit. Father, just stir something within us that we would be people from this day on. In a greater way, we're going to be open to the gifts of your Spirit. We're going to desire spiritual gifts. We're going to look forward to what you're going to do. And Father, we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, please. If we could, everyone standing, please, unless you're physically unable to stand. Tonight, as we come to the very close of this service, it's be a very, very simple altar call. Beth, in a moment, is going to sing the chorus, Holy Spirit, rain down. Holy Spirit, rain down. And if your prayer tonight is, God, use me in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In life, in ministry, God, just use me in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, desire spiritual gifts. So our prayer is, God, use me in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God, give me opportunities to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. And then we must have the boldness to step out, to want to be used and to be nudged to be used isn't enough, but then we need to... Be bold to step out and be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as we step out, God can use us.
to touch the lives of those around us. God can use us in the gifts to minister to needs and areas of need in our life. But the point is it starts by saying, God, use me in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I desire spiritual gifts. God, use me in the gifts. If that is your prayer when Beth begins to sing, we're going to just ask you to step out of the seats and come and stand in this front altar area. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. But it starts by our making ourselves available, saying, God, use me. I want to be used as a tool, as an instrument in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing tonight? If you're willing, you come as Beth begins to sing tonight.